Well, happy Mother's Day to everybody in here that's your mother. Thank you for being for doing what you do as a mom. We're eternally grateful. So let's give God some praise, some glory. Give him all the praise, all the glory, all the honor for who he is and what he's done. Amen.
place with your presence Our hearts awake We are desperate For your kingdom to come Breathe revival Let the darkness run King of heaven Come and fill this place with your presence Our hearts awake We are desperate For your kingdom to come Breathe This place with your presence Let our hearts awake We are desperate For your kingdom come Breathe revival Let the darkness run Aren't you glad that the darkness flees? The king of heaven shows up, amen you glad that the same God that lived in the Bible, the same God that, 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 that breathed life into Adam, the same God that breathed life into Adam is the same God that we serve today. The same God that put Moses on the cleft of a rock and passed in front of him and showed his glory is the same God that lives inside of you. The same God that kept Noah and his family safe in an ark on the water is the same God that lives in you and me. The same God that healed the people in the Bible that brought the dead back to life. The same God that was put in a tomb and rose on the third day is the same God that lives inside of you and me. Don't ever forget it. Don't ever forget it. Don't let the enemy convince you otherwise. Oh, yeah. I'm calling the God of Jacob, whose love endures through generations. I know that you will keep. Your covenant. I'm calling on the God of Moses, the one who opened up the oceans. I need you now to do the same thing. Thank you. 
Tell him he's worthy. You are worthy. Yeah. Yes, you are worthy. You're worthy of it all. You're worthy of it all. You are worthy. worthy. Yes, you are worthy. Childlike faith of my honest praise, of my unashamed love, of a holy life and of my sacrifice, of my unashamed love. You are. You are, you are worthy. You're worthy of all my praise. You are worthy. You're worthy of all my time. Worthy. You're worthy of all my strength. Worthy. All my passion, Lord, worthy. You're worthy of all my dreams. my worship for fire for fire for consuming I'll give you all give you all of my worship for fire for fire for and I will be a living sacrifice all my heart and soul to glorify I offer nothing less than all my life for Jesus Christ all on the altar
whatever it takes with my mind and my body with my mind and my body oh my spirit is great oh my spirit is
ground all my tradition break down the walls all my religion your way is better your way is better shake up the ground all my tradition break down the walls all my religion your way is better is better come and shake up the ground all my tradition break down the walls all my religion your way is better your way is better come and shake up the ground all my tradition break down the walls all my religion your way is better
whenever you want to song I had a picture come to mind of those of individuals who are climbing a mountain if you've ever gone mountain climbing I'm talking about something more than anything around here you climb to a certain level carrying your equipment desire is noble but you're trying to do it with too much stuff that is not needed in fact it's become a hindrance in your pursuing of me it is not that I'm hiding from you it is not that I am running from you for I am who I am where I am but I have said, seek me with all your heart, and I will be found. But you're trying to carry things and bring things along that were not meant for this climb, for this trip, for this day, and for this hour. And this is the time of surrender. This is the time of laying things down. This is the time of becoming serious. This is the time for ta taking note of the things that are taking place all around you. For there is already a rumbling within the earth. There is already an upheaval that is being caused by my word sent forth from my throne. And my people need to understand that serious of the seriousness of the hour, the, the intensity of the hour. And this is a time to lay it all down. Everything that is not of me, everything that is impure, everything that is unholy, all the things that you are trying to bring along for the trip, God is saying it's time to lay it down. And I just feel a pause right now, right now in this place, that this is the moment to do that. This is the moment right now. I don't know who you are. Some of you, you've put on the face. You know how to talk the talk. You know how to walk the walk. You know how to put on the facade and pretend around people when you come into the presence of God. But God said, I'm stripping away that veneer. I'm stripping away the facade. And I am giving you opportunity to come to me with your whole heart, willingly choosing to come after me and lay it down. And I will remove those things from you. I will purge them. I will cleanse them. If you will surrender your life to me wholly and without 
equivocation. God said, this is the moment. You can choose to stay at the base camp and look on from a distance, but the mountaintop requires that you lay things down. And as the worship team just continues to play right now, I'm going to open this area right here in the front right now. If God is speaking to you about any one, any particular thing, a number of things, whatever it is, I want you to come. It's between you and God. Nobody's going to lay hands on you. Nobody's going to touch you or anything. We're just we're going to take a, the, whatever time is needed right now. God's speaking to you. It's time to lay some things down. It's time to make it right. It's time to throw off the extra weight. Listen, you cannot carry the extra weight as you climb the mountain. You know why? And the, the peaks get higher, the air gets thinner, and you need to be able to climb that mountain. It's time to remove the hindrances. It's time to get serious. God. It's between you and the Lord right now. I invite you to come anywhere around the front. This is just you and the Lord. No one's coming to touch you. No one's coming to pray for you. Nobody's coming to lay hands on you. This is you and God. It's a time of surrender. Lay it down. You are all I'm chasing now. This is my surrender. I'll give you all the time necessary. But I will not beg you. But I sense saying this is it this is the place this is the moment and here is where i lay it down all i'm chasing now this is my surrender this is my surrender and here is where i lay it down and now this is my surrender this is my surrender and here is where I lay it down Shake up the 
Forgive me of my sin this day. Let it be a day of life and a day of change. I hear the word establish. Establish. It's time to establish in your mind, establish in your heart that Jesus is the past. He is the one. He is the one that you will follow. Establish it. Make it sure. Right now. Right now. In Jesus' name. 
every breath that I take, every moment I'm away. Lord, have your way. 
years and years of struggle.
Father, we thank you for the love that you showed forth by the giving of your only Son, Jesus. You stood by and watched as he was beaten, flogged, ridiculed, mocked, and ultimately nailed to a tree. Let me just make one uh, quick announcement, if I can, and that is um, on May 29th and 30th, um, there will be a, 
here at our church a kids crusade. The Lit team is putting together a kids crusade uh, for those two days, two nights. It'd be from 6 to 8.30. And we need two things. We need They need some volunteers to help serve in different capacities. I mean, you don't have to get up and perform or do anything, but they, they do need some volunteers, and there's a sign-up sheet out in the lobby for that. But there's also a sign-up for your children. They need you to sign up, and there's a QR code out there. You know what I'm talking about, that little square thing, puts your camera on there from your phone, it pops it up, and you can register your children. And if you'll do that, that would be a great blessing. And then the team is going, after those two nights, they'll be tearing everything down, and they'll be headed to Texas to a church over there, and they'll be ministering over there. And so, uh, look, we get the first fruits, <laughs> and then they're going to go someplace else. And so we... We, we, we ask that you take a moment to do that. And um, also, just thank you for your giving. Uh, just to remind you, there's four different ways to give. There are boxes on the back wall. There are envelopes on the back of the chairs or back there. You can do it that way, giving your tithes and offerings to the Lord. You can do a text-to-give feature. You can, do, um, you can do it on a website. And you can use the app either way, and we thank you for that. And, um, and, and let me just say for those of you that use the app or something like that uh, to do it, um, even or you do it on the website, if you're giving for a specific project or if a specific mission thing or whatever, there's a place for notes on there. And you can put, for example, missions, and if there's a missionary that is spoken about, you can do that. In fact, Naomi, you want to come and take a, take a, I know we're running way off schedule here, but um, last week normally would be our mission Sunday, but with everything that was going on on Celebration Sunday, we didn't have a chance to uh, highlight one of our missionaries, and so Naomi's going to take a moment to do that. Happy Mother's Day, moms. Um, I won't be too long. Uh, real quick, um, this month we're highlighting Amanda Thompson, and she is in Vietnam. So in 1994, Pastor Bob went to Vietnam in a time where the words Bible, Christ, Christian, Jesus was not to be spoken. There was a lot of hidden things. Um, what did you say? Uh, knocks, specific knocks. Um, you couldn't, and for you to be let in. But today, it's much more open. Just this past March, Franklin Graham went and did a very large evangelism outreach. But Amanda Thompson has gone to be a teacher and not as a missionary. However, in our eyes, she's a missionary. They wouldn't allow her to go as a missionary, so she went as a teacher. She's teaching high schoolers and older kids English in different subjects. And she is also teaching pre-K twice a week. Um, so recently, one child has come to Christ um, after having no interest in Jesus whatsoever in just February. Here we are, early May, and he's changed his mind. And there's a picture of him and a few other students surrounding him, encouraging him to make that decision because they already had. Um, so Amanda, excitingly, will be here on June 11th. Pastor Bob has asked her to come. So she will be able to tell much more stories than what I can share with you today. 
Um, there was one excerpt I want to read from her Facebook page. Um, so this is what she says. In April, before I left for Vietnam, Pastor John Smith prophesied over me. In the prophecy, he said, though they may not let you speak openly about Jesus, they will let you sing. This weekend, I have begun to see that prophecy fulfilled. I, along with one other team member, was invited to join our school on two outreaches, specifically because they wanted me to sing. I am amazed that God is allowing me to be used in a gift that for so long I was insecure in. Over a hundred Vietnamese people got saved through these two outreaches, and I am honored that I got to be a part of it. Remember to never throw away a gift that God has given you. It is insane where God can, will, and wants to take you. In 2021, God told me multiple times that his plan for me were greater than I could imagine. I was walking through a difficult time, but I knew his word was true. It is truly astounding to see God's word being fulfilled in my life. Thank you for partnering with me so that moments like these can happen. Jesus is continually blowing me away. So we're just going to pray for her, and she's also asked on her page to pray for her students. So dear Lord, we just thank you for Amanda. We thank you that she said yes, even one of uh, her difficult times in her life. She was still obedient to your will, Lord. I thank you for those who go to the hard places, the darkest places, Lord, where that there could be imprisonment, and there could be so many things that are done to them. Lord, I just pray right now that you send your angels over her for protection. Lord, just keep her safe with doing your will. Lord, we pray for her students right now, Lord. Those that have a hard heart, just soften it, Lord. Lord, I pray that you reveal yourself to them. And Lord, I'm thankful that... Amanda is there to be able to answer their questions once you are revealed. They are having so many questions. It's so different compared to what they are taught. I just thank you for her students. I thank you that you are partnering her with those students. You have put her in their lives to be able to reach them. And I'm just thankful that this country is allowing because we know that there are countries that the children are, aren't to be taught about you. Lord, I just thank you for her. Lord, I just ask that you provide provision. Lord, just give her anything and everything that she may need and want and just stay by her side. We thank you for all that you're going to do through her. Through her, yes. In Jesus' name. Amen. And I thank you for remembering our missionaries in prayer and also in financial giving. And Amanda will be here next month, and she's coming home for a month. And as soon as I found out, I invited her. She's a Louisiana girl, so she's from Bayou Blue. And um, she's, she's uh, going to be with us, and I'm excited to hear it, what God is doing there. I want to just say happy Mother's Day to all the moms here in, this, in the house this morning. I know you were told that coming in, but we, we thank God for you. <laughs> you know, 
I, I tried to think of a scripture for Mother's Day, you know, and there's lots of scriptures, but you know the one that came to mind was Proverbs 22 and 6. It says, train up a child in the way that he should go, and when he is old, he will not depart from it. Now, I know of all the scriptures, somebody might say, well, why would you pick that one for Mother's Day? Well, times may have changed, but mothers still, I think, have the greatest influence on our children. Uh, our children need the influence of moms and dads, godly moms and dads. But I can tell you, even as a boy, when, when there was something I needed, I went to my mama. And she already knew most of the time. I don't know how mamas do that. She already knew when I was in trouble. She already knew when I, there was a need. She already knew. And that was before she even knew the Lord. But she did. And then when she came to Christ, it was my mom who led me to the Lord. It was my mom who led my six younger siblings to the Lord. And today, she's in his presence. And so, I thank God for moms, especially godly ones, who are teaching their children and living their lives in a godly manner before them, that you are giving them the example they need to see in flesh. And I want to just take a moment and pray for you, for each and every one of you ladies. Father, I thank you for the moms that are here. And I thank you, Father, that, that God, you have enriched their lives. And I know there have been times of joy, times of sorrow, times of apprehension. And Lord, I know what children bring. But Father, when we look at them, we are filled with love and compassion for each and every one. I pray for the moms the grandmothers, the great-grandmothers, that many of them are even now raising their grandchildren, Lord God, in this day and age. I pray, give them strength, give them wisdom, give them that inner fortitude, Lord, to press on and show them Jesus, the love of Jesus, each and every day. I pray you bless them each in a special way on this Mother's Day. Amen. Amen. I want to take a few minutes to teach a message this morning that makes, it's not a Mother's Day message, okay? So please don't shoot bad arrows at me, you know. Give me that eye. I, I, I quit doing that a long time ago. I tried to do it, actually. I, I put, had a Mother's Day message together. Didn't feel good about it. Tried to do something else. Didn't feel good. And this came out of a personal experience this week with someone and then as I began digging into it, it just, boy, it just fired me up. So it, it's a message. It's going to be a little technical in the beginning, but the message is simply called deconstruction. What is it and why should I care? Um, I'm renouncing Christianity. Everybody's looking at me going, say what? I'm not. But many are. Many people are today. In fact, it, that statement, whether directly made or indirectly, is being expressed more and more so in our day. In the past couple of years, we've seen a number of high-profile individuals from Christian authors, singers, ministers, and the list could go on, who have renounced their belief in Christ and in Christianity. And now you might be thinking, 
I can see why that would be a concern to you, Pastor Bob. You're a minister, but why should I be concerned? Well, I want to answer the why. I want to tell you what it is, why it's important, and how it's being played out. And in case you don't think this is important, okay? I mean, because you know this makes it right. This makes it important. I just happened to look as of yesterday, May 13th. Is that what yesterday was, right? Um, there were three, 379,960 posts on Instagram utilizing the hashtag deconstruction. So that's got to be important, right? I mean, it's on Instagram. I mean, it's got to be real, right? I looked it up from six months ago, and it was 200 and something thousand. It's grown over 100,000 in the last six months. Okay, so what is it? What is, what is deconstructionism, okay? So I, I, I'm, I'm trying to make it simple and then give us application, biblical application here. According to PBS, again, that's got to make it right, right, PBS, deconstructionism is a challenge to the attempt to establish any ultimate or secure meaning in a text. In other words, it, 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 it seeks to understand the impact of a work, a written work in its day, and how the meaning may have changed over time. Now, how is that done? It's often done by questioning the objective truth of language. In other words, they're, they're challenging the fact, can there even be anything as truth? Okay? They, 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 they look at the language and they break it down and they say, can this really mean what, it's, what they're saying? And, and, and it, it goes back to what is known as structuralism. Structuralism is the science of how a system works, and in this case, language, okay? In other words, if you're going to deconstruct, that you have to construct first, right? I mean, it's like revive. You, to revive, you have to have been vived, right? You can't revive something that was never alive. I mean, so if it was vived once, it's died, now it's revived, okay? Well, if, if, if you're going to deconstruct, then something has to have been constructed. There has to have been a construct of some kind. So structuralism is the science of how a system works. And this is the, in other words, and this is done, being done in language. And the structure of language, they say, comes from the human mind. So the fact that it comes from the human mind, language comes from the human mind, therefore it is suspect. Okay, so deconstructionism centers around the idea that language and meaning are often inadequate in trying to convey the message or idea that a communicator is trying to express. Okay, you, you following me? In other words, language is of the of man is man made. It is uh, put together by man. And so the idea is that language is such that uh, there's no way anyone can use words to adequately describe truth, and therefore uh, it is suspect, okay? So let me just show you real quick the, the four main things about this. Language is a collection of signs whose meanings are transient, sub subjective, and uncertain. In other words, if I say something to you and you say something to somebody else and you say the same thing to somebody else, how many of you know we might hear four different things? Okay? 
So it, it, it's transient, it changes, it's subjective by how I hear it, what you hear. Uh, it's uncertain because we can't be certain of what the word really means. And texts are full of contradictions and lack unity and coherence. How many times have you heard somebody say that the Bible's full of contradictions? It's full of contradictions if you don't understand the Bible and you don't understand the author and you don't understand the concept from beginning to end of what God is doing. And then it goes on and says, and the, the, the main idea of deconstruction is that there can be no, no final interpretation of the text as we live in a universe of radical uncertainty. Okay? Now, so think about this. If we live in a world that is so uncertain that nothing can be certain. Do you realize the anarchy that would exist in a world like that? In other words, there could be no rules, there could be no laws, there could be no truth, there could be no established fact. You might say two plus two is four, and I could say it's 29. Because you don't know what you're talking about. We live in a world that is so uncertain that, that the text that we're looking at, we can't know what it is. So now this goes down to what is called faith deconstruction. This is what's happening in our world. Faith deconstruction is an occurrence where Christians, and, and, and where, whether intentional or challenged, and it's being challenged more and more, but Christians unpack, rethink, and examine their belief systems, okay? That's what it is. For some, deconstruction of their Christian faith means turning their back completely on their Christian faith. For others, deconstruction of their faith means just certain teachings of their faith, and yet they say they can maintain some of the other things, okay? And what the process of deconstruction looks like differs depending upon the individual. So the, what the Bible talks about, of where every man did what is right in their own eyes, that's literally what we're talking about. So I deconstruct the faith because of my experience in this. You do it because of your experience in this or some teaching that you've heard over here. And so what we end up with is a series or a buffet, if I can put it that way, of all kinds of things. And we're seeing this more and more these days as a num the number of high-profile individuals who have come out and said that they no longer believe in Christianity. They no longer. Now, how is this happening? Why is it happening? Because they deconstruct and reconstruct the Bible in their view of modern terminology, experience, and events. Okay? In other words, if I say, well, that word or that phrase meant something in that day, but today it means something else. And I apply the meaning of today to that phrase. It changes the very base basis of our belief, okay? If deconstructionists are right, then we have to understand something, and that is that, that they would completely dismantle our faith as we know it. I have often said 
and even as I've gotten older, I say it even more so. And that's simply this. It, it is, is if, if, if any single point, if any single point of scriptures is ever proven to be untrue, listen to me. If any single point of scripture is proved to be untrue, then Christianity will become just another belief system rather than the source of my faith and my hope. One thing, just one thing. See, because I basically committed my life. I've, I've kind of gone, it, pardon the analogy here, but I've kind of gone all in. I basically pushed the proverbial chips all in on Jesus, okay? And, and I have said that this book is completely true. It is absolutely without error. It is perfect and it's divine authorship. I don't see the Bible as a good book. How many times have we heard someone say, well, in the good book, well, you must be referring to a novel or something because this is not a good book. This is not the good book. This is God's word, okay? I, I know it's, it seems a little technical or maybe splitting hairs, but I don't see this book as a standard of conduct. I don't see this Bible as a set of guidelines that would still be pretty good even if one error was found in it. No, not at all. And the object of deconstructionism in the church is to reject the Bible as absolute truth. That's where it's at. That's exactly what it's all about. Um, 2 Timothy 3.16 says, all scripture, say all scripture. All scripture is inspired by God and is profitable for teaching, reproof, for correction, and instruction in righteousness. That word inspired literally means God breathed. In fact, the NIV translates that that way. All scripture is God breathed, okay? The Bible, the word of God, is completely perfect without error. Consider this, again, let me go back to this point about if one thing, if a single prophecy was proven untrue, it would then by definition mean that this book is not perfect, that this book is not without error. It had error, okay? Think about it. If one thing in here is in, is in error, then how do we know that what part? What other parts are not are are not in there, are are in there? How how do we know? It there are hundreds of prophecies about Messiah, about Jesus Christ in the Old Testament, but let me just take one that we're familiar with in Micah chapter five verse two, but it says, "But you Bethlehem Ephrathah, though you are small among the clans of Judah." Out of you will come for me one who will be the ruler over Israel, whose origins are from old, from ancient times. Micah 5 and 2 states that out of Bethlehem will come one to be the ruler of Israel, who will be everlasting. If every other single prophecy in this word right here 
if they were accurate, but he was not born in Bethlehem, then it would automatically reduce this Bible to being very accurate from being perfect. Just one mistake, one error. And I personally, I'm taking this personal, I'm sorry, but I, I have not staked my faith on something that's very accurate or good enough or close enough to be a gimme. I have staked my faith in my eternal existence in a perfect book, a holy book, a book that was authored by God himself. And I have complete trust in the God who wrote the Bible. I have also confidence that since God wrote it, it is perfect. Because of this, I'm drawn even closer to God who has revealed himself to me in this written word. And arguments cannot dissuade me. Alternate theologies cannot cause me to doubt. Modern day definitions cannot sway me. Numbers 23 and 19 says, God is not a man that he should lie, nor a son of man that he should repent. Has he spoken and will he not do it? Or, or has he spoken and will he not make it good? Malachi 3 and 6 says, for I am the Lord, I change not. The God who spoke this word and God breathed it upon individuals who put pen to paper, so to speak, and they wrote it for us, is not in error, does not have mistakes. It is not, I'm telling you, it is God breathed and it gives life to those who choose to believe in it. Amen. The roots of deconstructionism in modern Christianity, there's really more at stake than titles and everything else. We, what we, fail, we need to know is that modern theologians have a far different view as to the, real, the reliability of the scriptures, and including those in the deconstructionist movement. And it is a movement. It is a movement that is sweeping churches. And in short, the concept champions the thought that modern readers of the Bible, in other words, you, me, anyone who picks it up, we cannot read and we cannot understand and we cannot speak for that matter for the original authors for a variety of reasons. How many of you were ever told growing up, don't read the Bible, it'll mess you up? Well, guess what? I didn't read it and I got messed up. It was only when I read this that I got straightened out. Come on now. And so what happens is this, this leads to the dismantling, hence the deconstruction of the truth of God's word. And then what happens is if this is no longer reliable as truth, if this is no longer reliable, we say it's good for a lot of things. It's a guide, 
but it can't be taken literally. If we say that, then what we're doing is we are opening the door for a number of interpretations, and those interpretations by themselves create doubts. And, and listen, I mentioned it a couple of weeks ago that doubt is one of the major tools of the enemy. And I came face to face with that this week with someone who's so dear to my heart. And I saw that individual struggling. No, they know the word, the doubts that were there. And, and, and I, it was like I wanted to somehow, if I could impart, transfer the surety of what I knew was God, was real. I wanted to, I wanted to put it in my friend. Because see, this doubt thing goes all the way back to the Garden of Eden. Genesis chapter 3, verse 1 through 6, look what it says. Now the serpent was more subtle than any beast of the field which the Lord God had made. I said, Lord, why would you ever make serpents? I hate them. I hate snakes. I do. Somebody said, well, there's good ones. No, there's not. There are no good snakes. And I have a 22 pistol filled with rat shot that sits on my refrigerator. And when I open the back door and if there's a snake nearby, he's going to meet Jesus. There ain't no good snakes. My son-in-law Justin will tell you, if you pull the tarp off of my little boat back there and there'll be snake skins in there eight feet long. And you're like, whoa. I'm telling you, I don't like snakes. I don't like I, don't, I, I like dead snakes, that's it. I don't care, I'm sorry. If I offend you, report me to the snake police. I don't care. <laughs> I just don't like them. You know? Somebody said, well, how do you feel about spiders? I, I, can, I don't like them either, but I really hate snakes. I really do. But look what it says. It's more, it was more subtle than any beast of the field which the Lord had made. And he said to the woman, has God said? What is that? Doubt. Doubt. You shall not eat of any tree of the garden. And the woman said to the serpent, we may eat the fruit of, from the trees of the garden, but from the fruit of the tree which is in the midst of the garden, God has said you will not touch of it, nor will eat it, nor will you touch it, or else you will die. And it says, and then the serpent said to the woman, you surely will not die. <laughs> Woo, I could go off on that right now. Wait, let me finish. For God knows that on the day you eat of it, your eyes will be opened and you will be like God, knowing good from evil. And when the woman saw that the tree was good for food, that it was pleasing to the eyes, and a tree desirable to make one wise. She took of its fruit and ate, and she gave it to her husband with her, and he ate. In the moment that Satan said, you shall not surely die, he created that doubt. And immediately we see something that takes place. Because it says, for the woman saw that the tree was good for food, it was pleasing to the eyes, and it was desirable to make one wise. In that moment, 
listen to me, Eve and then Adam deconstructed the original word of God. God said you can have of any of the trees but one. The day you eat it is the day you die. And with that doubt that came in concerning what God had said, in that moment, Eve and Adam deconstructed what God had originally said. They must have meant something. They, they probably said to themselves, uh, well, the, the tree is, that's good food on that tree. That's good looking fruit, man. The fruit was pleasing to the eyes. God wouldn't make something so pleasing that he wouldn't want us to have it. The tree would make them wise as God himself. Surely God didn't say we couldn't have it. And so and, and, and immediately they deconstructed the very word that God said. And the day you eat it, the day you do, you'll die. But with that doubt, and that's exactly what's happening in our world today. In fact, about a, a year and a half ago, a, a very notable pastor stirred the ire of uh, deconstructionists on the internet in, in one of his sermons. And I'm just going to put on the screen a, a little portion of what he said. He said, you and I are in a day and age where deconstruction and the turning away and from and leaving the faith has become some sort of sexy thing to do. I contend that if you ever experience the grace and mercy of Jesus Christ actually, that that's really impossible to deconstruct from. Come on now. And then he went on to say this, but if all you ever understood Saying Christianity to be is a moral code, then I truly get it. See, they're trying to say, you can't understand the words that are in this book. You can't understand what the author actually meant. You can't understand the, the meaning or the purpose or the way life was at that time. You can't understand it. Therefore, you can't accept it for what it truly says. Therefore, it, it is a guide by which we can build our laws or we can live our lives. In other words, you've reduced God's word to a moral code. And he said, he said, but if you've ever met Jesus and the grace and mercy and the, uh, the forgiveness of Jesus Christ, there's no way you could deconstruct yourself from that. And the way we know that is because of this word. But they want to separate the two. They want to make one an experience and one uh, uh, a text that cannot be applied, that cannot be interpreted. The reliable truth of the Bible is the thing, <laughs> it's, it's the thing that keeps me leaping off a cliff of doubt. Because doubt is everywhere. I want to see the hands of a person in here who's not dealt with some kind of doubt in the last month. About anything. It's, it's all around us. And if the world, if we listen to the, what the world says, we'd have a mountain of doubt to jump off. 
And the only thing that keeps me from believing it and doing it is this word right here that tells me the truth. This is the lamp for me to see in darkness. It is the guide for me to take my steps. It is the truth of who God is. It is the truth of what happened in the beginning, what's going on now, and what's going to happen in the end. Imagine trying to balance your dependence on God, maintain the importance of your faith, and all the while trying to determine what truth is. Uh, truth today would be this. Truth tomorrow might be something else. Truth tomorrow would be something else. Truth tomorrow. No, this is truth. This is the plumb line. If you don't know what that is, <laughs> go look it up. I don't have time to show you. But how many of you know what I'm talking about? You put that plumb line and give it time, it's going to settle in. You're going to know straight what the, that straight line is. You're going to know what it is. You talk about being on the precipice of something. I've, I've got to, to, to remain dependent on God, maintain my faith, figure out what truth is. Can't do it. No, I have to have that already drawn, drawn for me. Listen, reinventing the core concepts of Jesus' teaching provides nothing more than confusion and false interpretations. And we're seeing that played out in so many ways today. And I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to just say this real quick, but I'm not afraid to say it. Facebook might shut me down. I don't care. It doesn't matter. But, but, but when you try and reinvent the core teachings of Jesus Christ, you're going to create confusion and false interpretations, okay? And we're seeing that playing out today in regards to the gender identity issue, okay? Now, listen to me. I'm not, ju I'm not here to judge or anything. I'm just preaching the word of God. So yesterday, it, it, I don't know why, just decided I sat down on my computer and I typed gender identity into Google. And in the first few links, here's what it said. What are the four types of gender? What are the seven types of gender identity? What are the six gender identities? What are the 11 gender identities? What are the 12 types of gender? God's honest truth. I should have taken a screenshot of it. That's what came up. And so I said, what's the true number? Because Google don't know. I mean, it doesn't know. And I thought, I know. And I went to the Bible, Genesis 1:27. So God created mankind in his own image. In the image of God, he created them male and female. He created them. Genesis 5 and 2, he created them male and female and blessed them. Go to the New Testament, Mark 10 and 6. From the very beginning of creation, God made them male and female. I don't have to try and figure it out. I don't have to ask the questions. I know the Bible already tells me. Listen, trying to live the Christian life on a foundation other than biblical truth will ultimately be revealed as foolishness. David wrote in Psalms 14 and Psalms 53, they're nearly identical if you've never noticed it before. He wrote with an understanding of how man's thinking is incorrect and could lead you astray. But let's just look at Psalms 14 real quick in a few verses. The fool says in his heart, there is no God. 
They are corrupt. Their deeds are vile. There's no one who does good. The Lord looks down from heaven on all mankind to see if there are any who understand and any who seek God. And all who have turned away, all have become corrupt. There is no one who does good, not even one. Both of the Psalms say that a fool has said in their heart, there is no God. Okay? And the result of such incorrect thinking, what's the incorrect thinking? That there is no God. The fool, the fool has said that, and the result of it is that those people they say that, say that, live corrupt and do vile deeds because they've said there is no God because they've said this is not true therefore I believe there is no God therefore I do as I please and it may seem like harsh words to our ears and yet God is very clear speaking his word through the psalmist to us and when we take the simple truth of the Bible that God is who he says he is and then we view it through a lens that pleases our own desires and pleasures, the result is that we become those who are corrupt and vile that the psalmist writes about. That's all there is to it. It's very simple. So we take the simple truth. We put a different lens on it. We want the lens of what we want, how we want to live, what we want to do, and we change that, and the outcome is that we end up living vile and corrupt lives. That's what the Bible says. And, and here's the thing. We don't get an option of defining God another way or even of denying his existence. You, we don't get that option. You can try and do it, but it's not going to change it. You know? It's not going to change it. It's like trying to argue with someone about the Grand Canyon. How many of you have ever been to the Grand Canyon? Yeah, a lot of you. How many of you know it's big? It's big. It's bigger than big, right? How would you describe it, right? You know, I mean, there's no way you can describe it, right? Then you tell somebody about it, and they go, I don't believe you. And you try and describe it to them, and they say, I still don't believe you. What do you do? You, you step back and go, I'm looking at a fool. I'm looking at a foolish person. Why? Because it exists. I don't believe it exists. It doesn't change the fact that it exists. So when I say God is a holy God, he is an awesome God, he's a righteous God, he's, he's a merciful God, all of those things, and you say, I don't believe that. doesn't change it. That's who he is. How do I know? It says so right here. And I've experienced that mercy. I've experienced that grace. I've experienced what this book talks about. It's real as real can be. Anything less than the singular truth of this word that God is, that God is who he says he is, and that God acts as he says he will act leads us down a dangerous path. So God is, say God is. God is who he says he is, say that. And God acts as he says he will. Not hard, is it? I believe that the Bible is God's divinely inspired word and its meaning never changes to suit my situation or my circumstances. Again, it's so complete and perfect that one simple error 
in this book would render it by definition imperfect. My very first job, I say first job, I, I mean, I, I had jobs growing up as a kid. I delivered newspapers. I, 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 I did all kinds of jobs growing up. But my first, what I call real job, as a teenager, I worked in a, a, a men's a clothing store in our town. And I worked in what they called the bargain basement. It really was just the receiving room where all the, the clothes came in. But my job was to look for imperfections in, in the blue jeans. They were Levi jeans. And back then, Levi's only had like two kinds. <laughs> I mean, that was it. I mean, they, they had, they had they, I don't even think they had them with zippers. They just had the buttons up the front. And it's, you had straight leg. And in my day, you had flare or bell bottom. They might have had a boot. I don't know. Nobody in my town wore boots. Everybody wore tie-dye shirts and sandals. Bunch of hippies. But my job was to go through the boxes and boxes of jeans that came in and look for imperfections in the jeans. And the ones without imperfection went up to the sales floor to be sold at twice the price of what you could get one downstairs in, in the imperfect section. And many times the imperfection was simply a long thread that hadn't been cut or a belt loop that might be like this instead of straight like that. You, you have no idea what hours and hours of looking over blue jeans up close, looking for the imperfection and sorting them into piles. That's what I did. <laughs> Looking for the imperfection. And I was like, my brain after, after a day would just be fried. I don't know about you, but that's the way it was for me. Now I'm just telling you, I've read this book from cover to cover. Time and time and time and time again. And I can tell you, I have found no error. You say, well, do you know every single word of it? No. But I can tell you that it is truth. The theme from Genesis 1 all the way to Revelation is sure and it is sound. And you can bet your life on it. In fact, it's not even a bet. Because a bet implies the ability to lose. You can't lose with Jesus. You can't lose with Jesus. My faith is not based on redefining on meanings or tearing it down and reinterpreting it to fit within my own personal box of preferences. For many people, they literally stand balancing between the tension of total commitment to the error-free truth of Scripture and rejecting it out hand. 
I meet people all the time. When I begin to talk to them about God, they say, well, I don't believe everything that you say is in that book. I pick and choose what I believe. And I said, whatever book that is you're reading will send you straight to hell. Because this is the whole gospel from cover to cover. As the old country preacher said, I believe it from Genesis 1 to Maps. All the way to the back end of the book. I can tell you that I stand here in full confidence that the perfect truth of this word is sound and it is sure. My faith is secure not because of my thoughts and feelings. Oh my goodness, no. If you live by your thoughts and feelings, nothing's sure. My faith is secure because I trust I have the ha I ha that I have in God's word that I can say with assurance as the apostle Paul did in 2 Timothy 1 and 12, I am not ashamed for I know in whom I have believed and persuaded that he is able to keep that which I have committed unto him him to him until that day and believe me here here's here's my closing point literally it's my closing point the days ahead are going to require one's faith to be established in God's word You're going to have to be rooted deep in this. Your favorite little verse ain't going to get it for you. Come on now. It was amazing. I remember when I first came to the Lord in the early part of the 70s, and, and there were, Maranatha singers started putting scripture to song. And all of a sudden, I was listening to Peter and First John this morning, and all of a sudden, he, I started hearing a scripture, and immediately came back that song. I think, in fact, I think Pastor Josh, didn't you talk about that just like Wednesday night or something like that? You talked about how they used to learn by the songs, and 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 many of the old anthems and the the uh, uh, um, the hymns and things took the theology of this word and put it to song. And so many times that, listen, there are times that I have been in where I've tried to pray and I can't pray. I'm at a loss for prayer. But in those times, I can sing. I can praise God. I can sing. Sing to the Lord. Sing. And I sing the truths of this word. And I sing it. And immediately that song, that old song that I haven't thought of in over 40 something years that I learned way back in the, my early Christian walk came back to me. And I began singing that scripture song for 1 John 4, 7 and 8. How do I know 1 John 4, 7 and 8? Because it's part of the song. Here's the last line of the song. They even put the references in the song. 
And let me tell you, you're going to need to be anchored and secure, established in this word. And if all you've got is a picture of what's up on the screen on a Sunday, that in and of itself is not going to be enough. Because you not only need to know this word, because they're going to twist it, pervert it, change it. And the Bible says there are there are wolves. There are those that sneak in unaware, perverting and changing things, just twisting it a little bit to where you think it sounds good. Oh, it, I think it's right. Not sure if it is. You better know. You need to know. And you know how you know? By getting in this. And when you get in this, then you know the one that wrote it. You know the one that wrote it. Let me close with this. Matthew 7, 24 through 27. Whoever hears these sayings of mine and does them, I will liken him to a wise man who's built his house on a rock. And when the rain descended, and notice this, and the rain descended. It didn't say if it descends, if it comes, if it decides to rain. It says, and the rain descended, then floods came, and the winds blew and beat on that house, and it did not fall, for it was founded on a rock. And everyone who hears these sayings of mine and does not do them will be likened to a foolish man who built his house on the sand. And the rain descended and the floods came and the winds blew and beat on that house and it fell and its fall was great. The enemy's trying to deconstruct our faith. But I would tell you that it's time to reinforce our faith. That which God has built and established, it's time to reinforce it. When a storm is coming in the Gulf, Everybody heads to the lumber yard, heads down there to get plywood, down there to get wood, to, to secure their house. Well, I want to tell you the winds are blowing already. The storm warnings are already out. The rumblings in the earth are already taking place. And this is the only thing that's going to get you through. Because I'm telling you, even as a believer, there are difficult times that can cause you to doubt. And the only thing that will cause that doubt to leave is this sure word. The Bible says we have a more sure word of prophecy. In other words, I have a word that's more sure than the doubt that comes against me. It's time to reinforce your house. It's time to reinforce it with this word. Don't let the world deconstruct it. Don't let some TV preacher tell you that's not what it means. I heard a famous preacher one time, I won't tell you who he is because he's still around. He's reading the scripture, he'd read a few verses, then he says, well, that's not what it really means. What it means is this. Then he'd read a few more verses and he goes, but that's not what it really means. Here's what it, it means. And then he'd read a few more verses and he said, that's what it means. I watched him for three days on TV. And every day he did the same thing. He'd read a few verses and then he'd say, but that's not what it means. Here's what it means. 
And that's not what it means, but here's what it means. He kept saying that. That's not what it means. Here's what it means. I thought anybody with any sense would turn you off. Because all you're doing is telling me what you're reading doesn't mean what it means. Why would I read a book that doesn't mean what it means? Right? I mean, be honest. How many of you get something that you got to put together and it's got an instruction sheet of how to put it together? <laughs> how many read it? You know what? The people who raise their hands, they read it, are not the same people who raise their hands the first time that they get something like that. <laughs> it's a truth. You just, most people just pick it out and they unfold it and it's like this and it's in four languages or eight languages and you got to find which one's yours. So we look at the picture and go, I got this, right? And then I remember the first time I tried to put a swing set together for my son when he was a little boy. I was so proud and I got down to the end and there was a bolt missing. It told me at the beginning, count, make sure you have all these parts. I looked and it looks right got down to the end and the last one I needed was the one that connected the slide to the side of the swing set and the bolt was supposed to be like about this long but the bolt I had was this long so I put it together like that and of course I thought my son would go for the swing first no the slide Whee, boom he fell right off. Why? I'm like, boy, lean this way when you go down. No, oh, boom. He just kept falling off. My wife's like, you got to fix that. I'm like, you know how long it took me to put that thing together? She says, well, you did something wrong. I said, no, they, they gave me the wrong thing. She said, well, didn't you notice that when you started? No, because I didn't read the directions. I just looked at it. That looks right. That looks right. That looks right. True, true story. Never did go get a bolt to fix it. My son, I just taught him how to lean this way when he went down the slide. That's the truth. It stayed that way for two and a half years till we moved. I was a little hard-headed. Folks, this is the manual. This is how to keep it together how to put it together, and how to hold on. And I want to pray for you. I want to pray that this comes alive in each and every one of your lives. That it becomes so precious to you that you You'd rather skip a meal than skip time in this book. This is my mama's Bible too. I bring it every Sunday to the pulpit. Heavenly Father,
this word is so precious it is the very essence of life itself I don't know where I'd be today if it, except for the words of truth that spring from its pages I pray for every person in here, every person listening by way of the internet. God, they would understand the need to be established in this word. To have it rooted in our hearts. That the enemy cannot come and just steal it away like seed thrown on hard ground. God, embed it into our hearts, into our lives. Let it become the very essence and source of life itself. God, it means for many of us a change in our daily routine. So often we wait to the end of the day to find time to spend with you. God, we don't wait to find time with the one we love we put them first God let this word come alive I pray for any individual who's had difficulty lately finding the, the enjoyment of reading this word or, or putting it first I pray Lord God that next time they open this book they would simply pray Father Open my eyes and my ears to understand and see the truth on these pages. And that God, you would take the blinders off. And they would suddenly find themselves feasting upon your word. Let the joy of your word return back to them. That they be established and strong. And when the enemy comes in like a flood, they stand. And when those around them are shaken by the events taking place and they look and they see them standing strong as an oak, they'll say, what is the source of your strength? And they'll be able to say, it is my God and the Word. The Word was made flesh. The Word is alive in me. I pray, Lord God, teach them to do warfare with the Word. Teach them to use it as a double-edged sword. Breaking the fetters of those who are bound. Breaking the lies that have people ensnared that the word of God would become alive in their hands in their mouths let them meditate day and night upon it Lord till it becomes a part of them Father I pray right now all those who have wandered from the faith they have renounced their faith Holy Spirit sick the hounds of heaven
upon their heels. Go after them, Lord. Let them see the error of their ways. Let the scale of unbelief be taken from their eyes that they might see once again and let them find mercy and grace as they repent at the cross of Jesus. The time is short and the need is great. And the laborers must know the one who has sent them and for what purpose they've been sent. I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Thank you for taking time to come today. Thank you for listening to an old man rant about the precious word of God. I love you. And I pray a special blessing upon each and every one of you. If you need prayer for anything, come. We'll pray for you. Otherwise, I hope to see you Wednesday night. Come out Wednesday night. And you just don't know what God is doing on Wednesday nights. Come and be with us, I pray. Amen. Shoulders, your shoulders.